Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, May 19th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. A surge in book banning and legislative threats to the freedom to read have been a major issue for at least two years now. This week, in what could prove to be a watershed moment, Penguin Random House has joined a lawsuit challenging the removal of books from school libraries in a Florida county. Yeah, a really important development this week with Pen America announcing what it calls a first-of-its-kind legal challenge to unlawful censorship with a coalition that includes a major publisher, Penguin Random House, a group of authors, and a group of local parents all filing suit against a school district in Florida. Uh, the suit was filed on May 16th. It was filed in the Northern District of Florida in Pensacola. And the suit alleges that administrators and school board members in Florida's Escambia County School District are violating the First Amendment by removing books from classroom libraries, as well as the 14th Amendment, uh, the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, because books being singled out are disproportionately books by non-white and or LGBTQ plus authors. And the books being singled out often address themes or topics that are related to race or the LGBTQ plus community. The suit seeks to have the district's actions declared unconstitutional and to have the banned books returned to library shelves. And what makes this suit so important, I think, is that, as you say, it does include a major publisher, right? In my reporting, I've heard over and over again for well over a year and close to two years questions about where the publishing industry was in this fight to ban books in libraries and schools and to threaten the freedom to read with new laws and legislation. But this week, we have some concrete action from Penguin Random House by joining this lawsuit. And there are hopes now that this suit is a sign that the publishing industry is finally really recognizing that they need to act to preserve the freedom to read. And, you know, hopes are high that more action is is to come from publishers. And what do the plaintiffs assert amounts to unconstitutional behavior by the school district? Yeah, so in short, the suit points to a list of books in which the school district has sided with those challenging books based entirely on what lawyers say the evidence shows to be openly and obviously discriminatory bases for the book challenges. And this is important, too. All of these challenges actually end up overruling, all of these bans, I should say, actually ended up overruling the recommendations of a review committee at the school and district levels that said the books could stay in the libraries. Now, it's no accident, too, the suit points out, that these book challenges are largely largely targeting books by or about people of color and the LGBTQ community. These school officials, the complaint says, consistent with you know what's going on in Florida with Governor DeSantis's political ethos, they're aiming to ban books that they see as too woke. Uh, but that violates the First and Fourteenth Amendments, and that's dangerous. The suit argues. Um, Suzanne Nossel, who is the the Pen America CEO, said in a statement that in a nation built on free speech, we can't allow this to stand. Uh, she said officials in Escambia County were removing books from school libraries in a deliberate attempt to silence pluralism and diversity. Children in a democracy must not be taught that books are dangerous. She said. In his own statement, uh, Penguin Random House CEO Nir Malavia agreed, saying censorship in the form of book bans like those enacted by Escambia County are a direct threat 
to democracy and our constitutional rights. By the way, the authors involved in the suit include uh, authors in children's book illustrator Sarah Brannon, uh, YA authors David Levitan and George M. Johnson, and Ashley Hope Perez, uh, and children's book author Kyle Lukoff. So kudos to them for joining this suit. You know, anyway, that's the major thrust of the suit, that that people's rights are being impinged upon here. But I cannot recommend urgently and highly enough that everyone actually read this complaint. It's on the PW site in our coverage. It's on the PEN America site. It's all over the media. I'm sure you've probably seen it in a number of places. But, you know, take take the time to download it and read it because it very well lays out the political playbook fueling the surge in book bans that we've talked about on the show in the past and which is happening not only in Escambia County, but in many communities across the nation. Um, you've heard the term speaking indictment, I'm sure, over the last few years. Uh, that, of course, is an indictment that sort of tells the story of a case as well as laying out the facts. Well, this is a speaking complaint because it really tells the story of how book banning in America is happening today. In your report for PW, Andrew, you describe how that story centers around one language arts teacher in a local high school. Why is her story also the story of book banning in America today? Yes. So, you know, again, if you haven't already read the complaint, it'll it'll explain it much better than I'm going to now. But, you know, this complaint is very well done and really accessible. And it lays out how a single language arts teacher at a local high school, her name is Vicki Baggett, kicked off what lawyers say would become a widespread and largely successful campaign to restrict access to books throughout the Escambia County School District. And it began in 2021, uh, lawyers say, with Baggett filing a, a book challenge form for Stephen Shabosky's The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which the complaint alleges Baggett would later admit she hadn't even heard of prior to the challenge. Uh, instead, the book came to her attention, so the complaint alleges, because it was on a list it was circulating as part of what the complaint calls the nationwide book remo- removal movement. Now, the process worked. You know, the, the book challenge process in this case, it worked. A panel at the school reviewed the challenge, and they voted to keep the book in the library. Uh, but Baggett then appealed with a letter to the school district, and she copied, among others, Governor DeSantis. And in the letter, Baggett argued that the book and others were, and this is a word we see a lot with these book bans, pornographic and therefore barred by state law. Now, a second panel would review that decision, and they came to the same conclusion, that the book could stay in the library. Um, and in you know appealing that decision, Baggett apparently didn't hide her agenda. The complaint states that she explicitly linked her effort to get Shabosky's book removed to the national effort underway to ban books. And interestingly enough, she cited a parental book rating in that letter as evidence that the book was not suitable for minors. But that rating came from this well-known, you know, sort of right-wing site called Book Looks. And if you don't know Book Looks, it claims to be an independent site, but as the suit notes, it was founded by a member of, and it uses the same rating system as a group called Moms for Liberty, which of course is probably the major right-wing national political group that's been fueling this current surge in book bans. Well, from there, Baggett's effort sprawled. The suit says that she produced several lists of books containing what she considered objectionable content. And these lists, lawyers say, all drew heavily from materials that, again, are circulating online and you know elsewhere among the, quote, national book removal movement. Now, the complaint alleges there have been in total four waves 
of book removals by the school board. And as of the filing of the suit, 197 books have been targeted for removal with 59% of those with having themes relating to race or LGBTQ identity. And this is a really familiar story. We've talked about it on this show a lot. I've covered it quite a bit. You know, what we've heard about with this surge in book bans time and time again is how it is a politically motivated, nationally organized effort being executed at the local level by a vocal minority. And as the complaint lays out in really clear terms and engaging terms, this is how book banning is happening today. Is this lawsuit of real consequence, Andrew? So, yes. You know, what does this suit really mean for the future, right? I think it's a good question. I think it's a complicated question, too. But, you know, first of all, yeah, this this suit is a big deal because I think like so much of the stuff that, you know, came with the Trump era and book bans come out of the Trump era, the misinformation tends to hit the wall when it gets to a court of law. Uh, and make no mistake, these book bans are misinformation. You know, it's simply not true that these books are pornographic or that librarians are grooming kids. This is, as the complaint acknowledges, in fact, and they make it clear that this is a political backlash to diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the wake of the pandemic and, of course, the murder of George Floyd in police custody. Now, on that score, listeners will recall another group in Texas recently won an injunction from a court in Texas uh, to stop book bans and to reinstate banned titles at their local public library. Uh, the case in Florida is a school library. This was a public library. But on March 30th, federal judge Robert Pittman found that the library board in Lanao County infringed the constitutional rights of library users by unilaterally removing books it deemed inappropriate. In a 26-page decision, Pittman affirmed that the First Amendment prohibits the removal of books from libraries based on viewpoint or content discrimination. And the facts in that case clearly show that county officials had illegally targeted and removed books based on complaints that the books were offensive. I think generally the law and the facts are pretty clear. And thankfully, I think this case in Florida is a similarly strong case that should probably also succeed. But this brings me to the more complicated part. I think, you know, as we've discussed on many lawsuits on this show in the past, suffice it to say lawsuits are not a panacea, right? The wheels of justice can grind slowly and the outcomes can be risky and they aren't always so clear cut. And I think with this book banning suit in Florida, that this is one of those situations potentially, because even if the suit succeeds, and it gets these removed books back on the shelves and, you know, warrants an order from the court telling school officials they can't remove content based on viewpoint discrimination. How much is that really going to do to obviate, you know, the, the political pressure and the political intimidation that's still rampant out there? You know, I'll give you an example. In Lanao County, our listeners may recall the response to the order to put these books back in the library was to hold a hearing on whether to close the entire library. And now eventually they kept the library open. But the fact that that question came up shows you where this could all head. So, look, I don't think this suit alone is going to solve any problems or address the pressure librarians feel, especially the pressure they feel to self-censor, right? Uh, the courts have also held that administrators have broad discretion over building their collections. So if the political pressure is there to stop buying the stuff in the first place that might you know get you in trouble with your conservative bosses – well, a lawsuit like this really isn't going to effectively address that. And that brings me to another observation, the final observation, that you know, lawsuits are one tool, I think, in this fight. But 
you know, as we've said before on this program, and many librarians say virtually every day, this is a political issue that is going to require an organized political response. Suing after the fact is, you know, important, but it's not the most effective play to win here. Librarians and Freedom to Read advocates tell me that the key is to get engaged to stay engaged, to show up, show up to your local library and school board meetings. Hey, run for office if that if you're able to. That we really have to meet the political aspect of this movement to ban books with the overwhelming popular force to protect the freedom to read. And poll after poll shows the, the majority favors the freedom to read, the overwhelming majority favors the freedom to read, supports their libraries, and rejects discrimination. And actually, I'll add, I have one more final observation here. And this is where publishers can make a huge difference. So I want to say kudos to Penguin Random House for getting involved and supporting this lawsuit and getting into the game. I've spoken to the leadership at Penguin Random House, and they do get it. They understand what's going on here in America. And I'm really happy to see them throwing a shoulder into this. But librarians will tell you that the publishing community at large is a little late to the game. Not too late, however. So putting more money and more political resources into supporting libraries and candidates who will support the freedom to read, and not just lawyers after the fact, will really make a difference. And let's hope Penguin Random House's move to join PEN America in this suit is a sign that publishers really are ready to amp up their efforts, because that, I believe, could be decisive. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on CCC's podcast, on Monday, May 22nd, at the World Expression Forum in Lillehammer, Norway, the International Publishers Association will announce the 2023 Prix-Voltaire. Velocity of Content will feature exclusive interviews with their representatives. The 2023 Prix-Voltaire Laureates. Next, on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.